Welcome to the Creek Devault Podcast, where we discuss the latest news, laws, and trends affecting your industry. Welcome back to the Creek Devault Podcast. I'm your host, George Lepignotis. I'm joined today by two of my colleagues, Scott Morrison and Elizabeth Robertson. Elizabeth, thanks for being with us. Yeah, thank you for having us. Scott, uh, same to you. I don't want to exclude you from the thanks for being with us. I appreciate the opportunity to be here. Thank you. <laughs> so... We came together today and decided to do this podcast uh, as a reaction to President Biden's recent executive order on competition. Liz, does that have a a, a title, that executive order that's causing so much uh, wake? Yeah, it's the executive order on promoting competition in the American economy. And the this order, since its signature, has created... Some confusion, I think, is a, is, a, is a soft way of putting it, right? Yeah, that, that's a soft way of putting it, certainly. <laughs> Scott, before we get into the nuts and bolts of the order, would you talk through some of the basics of non-competition law here, here in Indiana and, and federally? Yeah, sure, George. I'll, I'll keep it short. And, you know, it's a funny conversation. It's one of the few conversations you'll get at a cocktail party or something, and people say... Oh, isn't it true? Nike beats, you know, I signed it, it's not enforceable. And, and frankly, that's just, you know, that's just wrong. Uh, here in Indiana and most other states are uh, enforceable. They're enforced every day. Uh, has to be, uh, you have to have three things. Uh, you need, A, you need uh, a reasonable geographic limitation. So you can't, if someone works in Indiana, for example, you can't prohibit that person from, say, working in California. It has some restrictions. And then uh, two, it has to be a reasonable time. Uh, It can't be 20 years. Indiana will go about uh, three years about the max. Most people are seeing one or two. In different states, maybe even a little less. Uh, And then three, the one that people kind of forget about is it has to be a reasonable activity restriction. And the concept of what everybody always says is you can't prohibit a president from being a janitor. I know that's kind of a facetious example. I've got to see that happen. But nonetheless, uh, you can only prohibit someone from working, say, if they were a salesman before as a salesman at the other, other place. But clearly, they're enforceable. So on the last point, uh, Jimmy Carter's non-compete would not prohibit him from building these houses that he does. So that would that's, that's, that's correct, fair enough. Right. I think he's right. about as close to the janitor concept as we're going to get with that. Uh, and it's good work. He's done some work up in South Bend, our, my, my particular yeah. market. Um, but anyway, uh, moving on from that great analogy. Back to the first point, the 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 geographic limitations, right? Um, isn't it though that the non compete clause or the geographic restrictions are tied to the business? And what I mean by that is, an Indiana company selling beverages in this state could potentially get away with excluding the geographic area. Could be whatever that portion of the state that 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 that, that business is in. Pepsi, however, that sells beverages all across the country, would they be able to restrict their, their, their former employee for nationally? In, in some occasions, and generally it's where the employee worked. They kind of focused on not so much the company, but where the employee worked. But in that, it, that's an area that's really in flux, especially you think about what's happened the last year or two. You know, people are just working from home, but they may be going to, or they may be working from Florida. Right. Uh, so, you know, where you're restricted is, is is really an issue that's a little bit in flux, and and certainly people that have a nationwide business, they 
try and argue that, and they're successful, that they should prohibit their employees, if it's a key employee, from working across the country. It's funny to hear you say that a lot of people approach you, and Liz, that they approach you with the same conversation, whether it be at a cocktail party or at lunch or a friend. I've heard that more often than I've heard the opposite, you know, that it, oh, non-compete clauses aren't enforceable. And I'm not sure where people get this concept. I mean, you are signing a contract. For the employee, you are signing a contract. You are agreeing to certain restrictions. Yes, they can't be overtly broad, but if they are reasonable within Indiana law, they can be enforced. Absolutely. And, and frankly, Indiana is probably one of the stronger states. Uh, not all states are as strong as Indiana. We, we have, If you're representing the employer, we have a pretty strong law to enforce them. And, uh, you know, the sad part, too, is sometimes employees sign them and they, they don't even read them. Right. And they, they forget, frankly, that they even signed one. Yeah. Um, you know, not everyone, but uh, that's kind of a sad tale sometimes. Yeah, that's probably my biggest advice at a party. And Liz, maybe you had something on that. Yeah, um, I guess what I was going to say was um, I think that sense comes from the fact that um, sometimes employers choose not to enforce a non-compete. Um, or, or it's an area that they decide, you know, maybe the non-compete's not enforceable against that specific job title. So um, I think, you know, you talk to an individual employee um, and through the, you know, life of all their careers, none of their non-competes have been enforced. Um, and I think you're probably going to see that more times than not. Um, but a lot of the times it's the employee's not specifically breaching the non-compete. Yeah. I, I think that, um, again, you know, my, my home base is up north and um, we have a couple of what I'll call manufacturing hubs in both Warsaw with the biomechanical industry, uh, biomed uh, implant type devices, and uh, the RV manufacturing industry in Elkhart in that area. And we see these non-competes all the time, and at times they do become very um, cantankerous because the employer has a legitimate right to protect, right? I mean, the employer has fostered the relationship, has let the employee into the inner workings of the business, and to, to walk away from that could be harmful for the employer. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, and it's, it's, the employer will spend sometimes a decent amount of money uh, supporting that employee. They introduce that employee to that vital customer. Uh, that, that employee uh, spends, you know, a lot of times at games or marketing, what golf, what have you. And, uh, you know, it would be uh, somewhat unfair to just allow that to happen. On the flip side, you don't you don't want to restrict someone's ability to work. So that's the fine balance, and um, that's uh, that's kind of the lesson, isn't it? Isn't it that that's that's the balance on a non compete? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, we represent employees as well sometimes, and it's yeah. uh, you know it's a very sympathetic you know situation sometimes. You know, they just want to work at a new employer, and right. you should never be required to do that. And you know, there's some other forms of non competes too. People say non compete, but really it's just a non solicitation of customers. Sometimes they have a provision that says, hey, you can go work for anybody you want. We don't care. But you can't, you know, solicit our customers. And yeah. same analysis applies, uh, a little less, a little lighter, you know, sense in a way. Uh, when you say lighter, I, was, I, I actually had that in my notes, non-solicitation, non-disclosure. You know, they, they seem like they're very similar because, they, you know, what's the difference in competing or soliciting? But there are differences there between the non-solicitation, especially the legal standard that's applied. Go ahead. You want to talk about that? I think sometimes there's it is a similar legal standard that is applied, um, but there are certainly differences in case law. Um, in that um, some case law um, restricts non solicitation agreements, um, specifically in Indiana. You know, you can't prevent someone from taking, um, you know, customers, all customers. It, it, it sometimes has to be specifically customers that that specific employee has worked with. 
um, and so um, and contacts in that in that form. So I think that when you say there's differences, um, I think a lot of times there's a lot more similarities than than a lot of people think. Well, let, let, let's say this, right? Let's say that um, an Indiana employee leaves the company to go work for a national competitor in Atlanta. It's beyond the geographic restriction. It may be a vile, it, it may be beyond the, that particular employee is beyond the scope of the, of the prohibited activities because they're, maybe now they're working in Atlanta and they're selling to people in Georgia. But if magically the national competitor starts targeting the old employer's customer base, is that considered solicitation, especially if the employee, the former employee helped target those people, identify them? I mean, I mean, it really can. And I, it's funny because people, you, the solicitation has become a word of art. And there's case law that talks about what is solicitation. For example, just generally putting on LinkedIn that you're now at a new employer. Right. It's generally been held not to be, you know, if you're not reaching out to that customer. Uh, I always like, frankly, representing employers when they have just a non-solicitation clause because it's an easier argument to the judge. You're all saying, you know, it's fine. This, this person's moved to Atlanta. That's fine. He can work or she can work for this new company. No problem. We're not trying to prohibit that. But, you know, oh, gee, we're trying to prohibit uh, this, cus this uh, customer that we've had for 50 years being solicited. Uh, and there'll be different language. Sometimes they'll say you can't contact to get around the problem of solicitation. And uh, I've had plenty of lawsuits just literally talking about the word solicitation and whether that particular person by just contacting or having a communication is soliciting that customer. So, stuff. so we could talk about this for hours. And, yeah. um, you know, I think that that's, that's the key. And I say it at this time almost, in all of the podcasts we've done so far, I say at this stage of the, of the podcast, there's always more information to be found on these substantive topics, both on our website. You're both thought leaders here at the firm. You've made writings and other things available to uh to our clients and, and, and the general public on our website that can be found there. Um, but really, we're here today for something a little bit more specific, and it's that order. So we know that non-compete is a valuable tool for American business, right? For Absolutely, Indiana business. yeah. Uh, we know that these, these restrictive covenants, especially as knowledge becomes, think of 50 years ago, you know, the skill sets were largely individualized, right? You either knew how to do it or you didn't. Nowadays, there's just so much vast knowledge and, and, and how you handle that knowledge and how you protect it that I think that the non or the restrictive covenants are very important to protect that knowledge base. This act or this executive order, first off, I want to touch just for a second. An executive order is a directive by the executive body of our federal government or our state governments. We've seen We've all become more used to executive orders in the past year. With COVID, every governor in, in the land has issued hundreds of them, it seems like. It um, depends on which state you're in more than others. But the executive order is simply a directive by the executive to those who are subordinate to him, correct? To his departments, agencies, cabinets, uh, his, his staff, right? That's correct, yes. And it is, doesn't have the power of a law per se, but it has executive authority. It does, and some are more mandatory than others. So let's take this order, and I don't want, let's just tell us a little bit kind of about the nuts and bolts. I've heard a little bit about it being maybe an antitrust directive, then I've heard others say, no, it's, a, it's an attack on restrictive covenants. 
Um, so I think it's a little bit of both. Um, there, there is the reason why everyone's referring to um, it being um, about antitrust laws is because that's its statutory basis. Um, is the Sherman Act and the Clayton Act, and those are our quintessential antitrust laws. Um, and so that's where the authority comes from um, in the federal government to be able to restrict um, these kinds of things. Now, I, the FTC has never restricted um, non-competes, um, and this discussion has been had multiple times um, by by various presidents who have either you know issued a mandate or an executive order or a directive. Um, it, it has come in all, all various forms. Um, so this is not something that's new, um, although it seems new because it was this big press conference and, you know, they put a big fanfare behind it um, to release it. Um, essentially, um, the non-compete portion of it, um, President Biden is directing the chair of the FTC um, to encourage, he encourages them to consider working with the rest of the FTC to exercise the FTC's rulemaking authority under the FTC Act that would curtail the unfair use of non-compete clauses um, and other clauses um, in or agreements that may unfairly limit worker mobility. Well, let's, I don't want to crazy unpack that thick sentence because we'll run out of time just doing that one sentence, but let's just, uh, let's just take a second and say, my first question as you were saying that was, is there a rampant problem with the unfair application of non-compete clauses, at least here in Indiana? I, I've not, you know, seen it so much here in Indiana, but I think that there are some examples um, that I've seen in articles that have been published even since this executive order came out, um, where, you know, Jimmy John's in Massachusetts, I think it was, um, was prohibiting employees or sandwich makers from going and working for another sandwich company, you know, 10 miles down the road. Um, and I think that that's really what this is targeted at. Um, don't state courts handle that? They do. I mean, yes. don't we have a mechanism to fix that already? There is. And many, many, many states um, have laws on non-competes. Um, yeah. And there's lots of case law out there. So so really, I mean, that we went back to Scott's beginning analysis. A sandwich maker working 10 miles down the street would probably be considered to be a fair move for that guy, right? Or gal. Yes, yeah. and that's not such a sophisticated service. That's right. Yeah. Um, that's, that's a you know pretty easy job to figure out how to do. You mentioned political theater, right? You didn't say that phrase. I said the phrase. Well, I'll take that. I'll take the heat from the higher ups. But it does sound like a bit of political theater this order. Um, I think it is. Um, you know, it was on it was on President Biden's agenda to um, limit unfair. Um, application of trade and and competition um and so he's checking that box um to do this and this is what this executive order is is accomplishing i'm going to take a turn on it with you because i do want to know about it's a shift it's a different concept but what is this concept when apple and google get together and agree amongst themselves not to poach each other's employees is that is that addressed by this order uh, where where a, comp- a group of a sector of companies operating in a similar market um, have agreed to not target key employees. Um, it's I don't think it's addressed in that sense, or at least I haven't seen it addressed okay. in that sense. I think it's addressed in that um, companies um, can't you know share information um, about wages and then you know change their wages or their prices. It's a price fixing um, so in some sense. Um, I remember in law school the the drywall um, case. And I call it the drywall case. I think it was U.S. Gypsum uh, was the actual title. And it was 
a number of gypsum manufacturing companies that had gotten together and price fixed. Right? They'd agreed that the price of gypsum is going to go up at this rate. We're going to start at $33.75. and We'll all agree to, to, to a schedule. Right? That's price fixing. That's not a competitive market. You guys are, you guys are controlling the market together, right? Um, and that, is, that falls within the Sherman Act and some of the antitrust laws. But extending that concept or that idea to, to non-competes, I guess I just don't, I don't see how they're basing it in antitrust law. And I think that it's, you know, it's a hard analogy to make. Um, I think it's, you know, antitrust laws are very broad. Um, and so I think that, you know, if the FTC does decide to act on this, I certainly think there will be litigation um, regarding it. You know, there's going to be pushback. Um, this is something that is traditionally regulated on a state-by-state basis. Um, and I certainly think many states will, will push back on that. Yeah, I had in my notes that exact comment, you know, state versus federal. And, and, and really, I think, at least in my practice, and I'm not as sophisticated of, of an employment law practitioner as the two of you by any stretch, but um, most of these issues come up in state court. They do, yes, typically. Uh, what, would, what would instigate it to go to federal court? What would, what would be the, in your experience, what would cause a non-compete controversy to require a federal... Court. I mean, diversity jurisdiction. Yeah, it's usually diversity when the uh, you know plaintiff and defendant are in different states, and for whatever reason they think it's more advantageous to be in federal court. There, that's another whole you know can of worms of you know why you want to be in federal court or not be in federal sure. court. You know, you, you stricter deadlines, you know, things of that nature can be you know beneficial or can be disadvantageous. But uh, I you know I think really though the big takeaway of this whole order though is that. FTC has yet to rule, has yet to issue any real rules pursuant to this order. And so, really, we don't know yet, you know, exactly what's going to happen, if anything, as a result of this order. Well, the wait-and-see approach, I think, is what um, what we talked about before we went on the air. And so, I think the advice we can give the listeners is nothing right now, yes? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think that um, you, really the advice is to, you know, be aware of, you know, what kind of agreements you have in place right now. Like, do you use non-competes or non-solicitation agreements and things like that in your employment contracts? Um, and to, to understand, you know, how those are drafted and what, what they entail. Um, and to, you know, just start brainstorming um, if, you know, if this were to happen, do we have ideas on how we can um, prevent this and protect our business in other ways. Um, and I think that's that's probably the best advice we can give at this point. Awesome. Well, and I know you and the rest of our employment law group are always available for questions. All of our bios can be found on our website at creekdevault.com. There's an entire section there on employment law, I believe, um, with, uh, with all of our attorneys that serve those needs. And I know we serve clients throughout the state and, and nationally on some of these issues. So always glad to help. Thank you both for being here with me today. It, uh, it's it's a fun topic because there's not. It's rare that three attorneys in a room all look at each other and say, "I don't know." <laughs> so kind of fun to see this burgeoning uh, thing happening. Uh, let's hope it doesn't become uh, a real hotbed for litigation. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, we'll just have to see um, what the FTC does and. Um what everyone else does in, in re- reaction to that. Stay tuned. Maybe we'll get back together on another episode and talk about it more. Thanks again for being with us. Thank you to the listener for joining in on this podcast, and hope to see you soon. Thank you so much, George. Thank you.